Section three of Dryden versus Shadwell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Algie Pug. Dryden versus Shadwell, a poetic duel by John Dryden and Thomas Shadwell. Section three. Epistle to the Tories by Thomas Shadwell. We here present you with a medal of an heroic author, which most properly belongs to you, he being at this time hired to lie and libel in your service, and in his last essay has performed it so dully that if you put him away, as it is said of the gentleman usher and the doctor in the rehearsal, nobody else will take him. No, nobody else will take him. We cannot say his portraiture is done at the full length, or has all its ornaments, since there are many touches to be added to it, which we shall reserve for the occasions he shall give us hereafter. But we dare say these rough strokes have made the lineaments and proportions so true that any one that knows him will find there is a great resemblance of him, and will believe that he has sat above five times for it. Though indeed he is so liberal of showing himself that in an hour's space he will expose all his parts and a good drawer in that time may observe enough to make a nudity of him. You may know he is no concealer of himself, by a story which he tells of himself, viz. that when he came first to town, being a young raw fellow of seven-and-twenty, as he called himself when he told the story, he frequenting but one coffee-house, the woman, it seems, finding him out, put coffee upon him for chocolate, and made him pay three pence a dish for two years together, till at length, by what providence I know not, he discovered the cheat. This stupidity were incredible if he had not told it of himself publicly. But there is somewhat to be said for it, for, as he said of himself at the same time, the opening in his head, which in children usually closes about the age of three, did not close in him till he was seven and twenty which may be the reason he has had such a devilish soft place there ever since. There are several witnesses that heard these things from him publicly. There are a multitude of notable sayings upon himself, which we may present you when he shall provoke us to show you his life at full length. This may give you some taste of his discretion and judgment, but you who have had his conversation know it is so lumpish and phlegmatic, or arrogant and silly, that he never pleases you with, or makes you merry at anything but his folly. As for ready wit, he carries very little or none about him. But if you draw a bill upon him, like a banker, he can answer you at home, and, as bankers do, with the cash that is other men's. Whoever has been conversant with Spanish, Italian, French, and classic authors, will find all that's tolerably good in him in some of those. He can indeed new trim and disguise a little the clothes he steals. He has an easiness in rhyme and a knack at versifying, and can make a slight thing seem pretty and clinquant. And his forte is that he is an indifferent good versificator. If at any time he has wit of his own, tis in railing when the venom of his malice provokes his fancy. His panegyrics are full of such nauseous flattery that they are libels, 
and he has now become so infamous that his libels will be thought panegyrics. His prostituted muse will become as common for hire as his mistress Reversia was, upon whom he spent so many hundred pounds, and of whom, to show his constancy in love, he got three claps, and she was aboard. Let all his own romantic plays show so true and so heroic a lover. You who would know him better, go to the coffee-house where he may be said almost to inhabit, and you shall find him holding forth to half a score young fellows, who clap him on the back, spit in his mouth, and loo him upon the wigs, as they call them, puffed up and swelling with their praise, and the great subject of his discourse shall be of himself and his poetry, what art he uses for epic, what for comic, what curse he is in for libel, and what for tragedy. He has never been conversant in any science but poetry. Philosophy of all sorts he has an aversion to, having no rational or argumentative head. But if he be anything, he is a mere poet, and from such an animal, libera nos, etc., from a man of one busyness, as the Italian proverb says. Tis not two years since he consulted with an eminent and learned physician of this town, telling him he was obliged to write a play and finding himself very dull, desired he would prescribe him a diet, and course of physic fit for his malady. The doctor merrily asked him whether it was comedy or tragedy he designed. He answered, Tragedy. The doctor replied, The steel diet was most proper for tragedy, whereupon the poet desired to have it prescribed, and did undergo it for six weeks. Before the writing of the medal, he might e'en as properly have been prescribed the diet of brass, for, to use his own expression, never was there practised such a notorious piece of impudence in the face of an established government as a villainous libelling so great a peer, so instrumental in the restoring of the king, who has so deservedly borne, and so faithfully discharged such great offices in the state, and who is still, in spite of popish clamours and false witnesses, ready upon all occasions to serve his majesty and the kingdom with the highest loyalty and integrity. Consider what stripes the varlet deserves for giving him these words in his libel. Monster, base within, counterfeit and light, rebel, vermin, lewd, villain, wretch, knave, impious, fiend, Jehu, traitorous, lays curses on his hated name, nor can his gout scape him, but he must be called formidable cripple. The unpunished audaciousness of this frontless scribbler would be a reproach to any government, and therefore no man can think him too hardly dealt with in the following medal, especially since he knows, and so do all his old acquaintance, that there is not an untrue word spoken of him. There is not so vile an employment as that of a hired libeller, an executioner of men's reputations. The hangman is an office of greater dignity. Were all which your poet says of this great peer true, yet the libeller ought to be whipped out of a country for his insolence. But what does he deserve, when he himself knows every word of it to be false, and scarce a papist in England believes anything of it to be true? He is as unlucky in his allusion to the Turks wearing of Scanderbeg's bones, as he is afterwards in his bungling simile about the feigned association. 
They were the Turks, Scanderbeg's enemies, that wore his bones, and therefore he thinks this lord's friends must do the same. According to the example which he cites you, Tories should do it, and I doubt not, but ye would be glad on't. But we hope ye will last, till by happy agreement of the king with a parliament, your party will hide their heads, or become of no signification, which for that very reason ye endeavour all ye can to obstruct. I know not what good his bones might do ye were he dead, but I am sure his brains, while he is living, would be very much to the advantage of the best of ye. Those would keep ye from the ridiculous follies and mad extravagances ye daily run into. Tis you that are apparently the faction, since ye are the few that are divided from the many. Tis you who in your factious clubs vilify the government by audaciously railing against parliaments, so great and so essential a part of it. They ought to lose the use of speech who dare say anything irreverently of the king or disrespectfully of parliaments. If anything would make the king lose the love and confidence of his people, it would be your unpunished boldness, who presumed to call the freeholders of England the rabble, and their representative a crowd, and strike at the very root of all their liberty. Ye are those who abuse our gracious prince, and endeavour to delude him with false numbers, and promising to serve him when ye have no interest, as in all the frequent parliaments. His Majesty has been pleased to promise us, will plainly appear. If anything could dishonour him, it would be the bloody violence of your spirits, your unpunished exorbitances, and breach of laws, your huzzaying, roaring, quarrelling, and damning by much the greater part of the nation and their whole representative body. Who made ye judges in Israel? But whatever ye might have been in Judea, ye will find very few of ye will be made in England, trustees for the liberty of the people, as your poet says, who, as if he had been hired for the whole popish plot, vilely casts dirt upon the best reformed Protestants in his next page. That Beza has been charged by the Papists for having instigated Poltrutius Meruius to assassinate the Duke of Guise is readily acknowledged. But withal we know how usual and how meritorious a thing it is with them to brand Protestants with whatsoever they can suppose will render them odious. Nor was this calumny so much fastened by them upon Beza as upon the Admiral Coligny, who was known to be a man of more virtue and honour than to allow the least accession to so base a crime. Had this vile libeller but common honesty and ingenuity, he would, at the same time he presumes to revive this calumnious accusation, have taken notice of the vindication which the Admiral published to justify his innocency. And for Buchanan, the character which Archbishop Spotswood has given of him, is enough to secure and preserve his memory from the stains which such fellows as this, or any enemies to truth and learning, could throw upon him. Nor will Calvin lose the reverence he has from good Protestants for this libeller's mercenary reproaches. For the association, which he next mentions, dropped out of the clouds, entered into, and subscribed by nobody, and seen by no one of our party that ever we could hear of, and we believe by none of yours, but those that contrive the putting it into the Earl's closet. It renders you more ridiculous and extravagant than ever ye were. 
to set up an abhorrence through all England of a paper which you can lay to the charge of no party, nor at one single man's door. But we doubt not, but if you had found, or put the libel your poet was cudgelled for, though few of your loyal closets, perhaps, are without that, and other libels upon the king, into the earl's closet, ye would have set up an abhorrence of that, rather than not have kept up the fermentation and division amongst the people. When this is run out of breath, we suppose ye will set up the ticket for the forbidden dinner, and ye will abhor factious, schismatical, seditious, fanatical, and rebellious dining, or some new red herring out of his lordship's kitchen will come forth. The insolence in the same page of your libeller, in comparing the jury that gave in ignoramus to the bill against our noble peer, to a jury taken out of Newgate, deserves the pillory, since tis evident to the whole city they were all men of singular honesty and integrity in all their dealings, of signal good lives, of good understandings, and of great wealth, and in the memory of man the city has not seen a jury better qualified, nor was there one dissenter amongst them to prevent your weak cavils. Cavils, I say, for it had been no objection if they had been all so since they value their oaths and consciences as much as any sort of men, and have no dispensations to go against them. And this clamour against the jury is because they would not believe an incredible matter from incredible witnesses, who either were then, or had been lately, most of them papists, who were far inconsistent in their testimony with one another and themselves, that I am confident not one of the reverend bench believed them, if they did, they must be very shallow, and must take this law to be little better than an idiot. If ye look upon the oath of a grand juryman, ye will find that the meaning of those two words, Bill la vera, is, they do believe the matter of the bill in their consciences to be true, which if they did not, they must have been perjured if they found the bill. The law provides that in capital cases a man shall not be wrongfully accused, and therefore appoints two juries, both which are bound to find according to their beliefs, and the injustice is as great, though the injury be less, for the former to accuse by indictment, if they believe the party innocent, as for the latter to hang him with the same belief. If ye had had the disposal of the juries, we doubt not but there are conspirators would have found witnesses to have sworn that most of the nobility and gentry, who have been zealous and active against popery, had entered into this feigned association. Heaven keep us from juries, such as will give eight hundred shillings damages to a powder monkey, without any damage proved, for words spoken by a magistrate in rebuking the saucy fellow, as if it were scandalum magnatum to abuse a Tory, though a feller of washballs, and from that which gave a thousand shillings to a knight for being called papist, whom it would not, perhaps, have cost a hundred shillings if he had been convicted or five hundred shillings to a notorious varlet for being six hours detained by a messenger after notice of the dissolution of a parliament, and perhaps no legal notice neither. Our juries are zealous to preserve the innocent, and yours to ruin and destroy them. Ye see what manner of spirit it is that actuates ye, and by the fruits we can guess whether it be good or evil. It seems to us to breathe forth nothing but ruin, murder, and massacre and for your understanding tis sufficiently shown by your professing to believe a protestant plot 
to seize and depose the king and destroy the government without any other circumstance proved than that of a joiner riding with a sword and pistols to oxford who had used to ride so armed many years before and yet ye have the face to deny a popish plot for the destruction of the king's person and government after coleman's letters and the others published by the recorder by command from the house of commons the murder of sir edmundbury godfrey the assassination of mr arnold after a general report among the jesuits in all foreign popish countries of the king's being dead it seems they thought themselves cocksure at the same time dr oates swears he was to be murdered here and a multitude of other convincing circumstances which were of that force that there were at least ten of the king's proclamations that affirmed it a public fast was enjoined for it and three successive parliaments nemine contradicente upon a full hearing of the evidence regarding all the letters and weighing all the circumstances declared it to be a horrid conspiracy against the king's life and government what impudence or stupidity is this let the world judge now tories fare ye well apply your heads to thinking a little and do not like young whelps run away with a false scent and cry out forty-one and ignoramus and in time ye may be wiser and let your poet know that the first occasion he gives he shall hear from us farther end of section three